Good evening. Let's try it again. Good evening. Merry Christmas. I'm glad that you're here with us. As we get started, I want to acknowledge something that we acknowledge every year on Christmas Eve. And the first is that this time of the year, this day in particular, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, uh, is a really special time for a lot of people. You get pretty hyped up and excited. You've got all kinds of traditions. You've got all kinds of experiences. You've got things that you have to do from baking cookies to wrapping presents a certain way and handing the presents out a certain way and having breakfast and and doing all these different things. And it's a really incredible time of year, so much so that you protect it with all that you got and you're not even going to let a year like 2020 steal it from you. And to you, we say, that's awesome. And we, from the bottom of my heart, I am very grateful that you're able to do that. But there's another group of people at this time of the year is anything but joyful and exciting. And in a year like the one we've had, it's a really difficult thing to muster up the strength to just make it good. Many people, um, multiple people at New Hope, in fact, have lost someone that they love this year. And so this Christmas is especially painful. Tonight and tomorrow are going to sting. And to them, my prayer is that tonight is a reminder through the songs that we sing, the lighting of candles, the preaching of the text, that God is with you. I'll give you the sermon in a nutshell. Christmas is like God's megaphone yelling out to the world, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Let's pray this morning, and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you that in the midst of a celebratory season, there is still enough room for us to wrestle with difficulty. Thank you for the promise of Christmas. Thank you for walking with us and among us. Thank you for living the life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserved, and defeating death for us. Father, this evening, would you give us ears to hear what you would have to say? And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 1, the passage that was beautifully recited. We're going to be walking through, and we have been for the last few weeks leading up to tonight. So if you have a Bible, if you don't have one, there's one in the seat that's in front of you or underneath you. That's our gift to you. And if you want a really nice one, you can go by our lost and found. Just scratch someone else's name out of it, and you got yourself a leather-bound brand-new Bible, and that is yours. Okay? Help us clear out the lost and found. While you're turning to John 1, let me share something with you. Throughout my years in ministry, I have not, as I am a younger guy in ministry, I haven't been in ministry as long as others, but um, I, I have been in ministry for about 15 years. And throughout the years of doing ministry, uh, people that are more seasoned than I have have given me warnings about things that I'm going to experience and learn, like anybody would in any field that you're going to be working in. And so I've been told ahead of time, hey, you can expect certain things, and uh, this is the way it's going to go. And I've been told different things, like, hey, every year you have to preach Christmas. I don't know if you guys knew that, but every year we have to preach Christmas. And every year you come to preach Christmas, here's what happens. You get to Christmas, and you realize they already know what I'm going to say. And so you got to figure that out. And I've been warned about that. That's a real thing. I've been told many other things, too, uh, what I can expect and how things are going to go in ministry for me. And one of the things that I've learned is this, that people have a tendency to put undue pressure on their life when it comes to thinking about this Christian walk. And I've noticed that. Maybe more than I've noticed anything else in my time in ministry is to watch people put this pressure on themselves to live a certain way. And they put so much pressure to make the right decision As if they're always on edge, always thinking, if I don't live the right way and do the right thing, then some cosmic killjoy is going to come and end me. 
So we get to this time of Christmas, and for many people, it's like, hey, I've been burnt out on this. I don't even want to be back in church, and, but they come, and they're here. And it's a reminder that, man, if I want to live like a Christian, i got to do all these things, and i got to live this certain way. And, and the pressure begins. You can just feel it sometimes. you got to live this certain way, right? It's kind of like a classic uh, song that we're all familiar with, right? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Killjoy Jesus is coming to town, and if you don't live a certain way, look, it's a twisted view, but all the time walking with people, trying to help them understand the invitation that Jesus has made to us is about far more than behavior modification, about far more than just changing your behavior. It's about heart transformation. It's a totally different thing. Well, maybe you felt that kind of pressure to live that certain way. I came across a prayer that somebody wrote out that I thought kind of captured this well for us. They wrote this prayer. They said, Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. <laughs> Amen. And as funny as it sounds, like we've been there, right? You've kind of felt that. Like this whole thing about following Jesus is just a bunch of rules that i got to live up to. One of the things I've loved about studying through John chapter 1, and if you're a guest here and you don't have a, a church home, we would love for you to be a part of this church family. There's a lot more we can say about that. But one of the things that is just something that we're committed to is we just grab passages of Scripture. Uh, we walk through books of the Bible when it comes to preaching. And so this Christmas, we're walking through John chapter 1. And one of the things that just continually stood out to me is that this, this birth narrative that John gives us, in a sense, of the coming of the Messiah, it's about so much more than influencing the way that we behave. It's this invitation to step into something that kind of culminated with the passage we looked at on Sunday morning. This idea that Jesus, when he was born, was the light of the world, a light that shone into a dark world. And that light, he says, was the life of all men. You see, when the Bible talks about life, it encaptures quite a bit that the English language misses. And we talked about this on Sunday. Life can mean a multitude of things. For one, it means physical life. John chapter 1 illustrates that. In the beginning was the word. Everything was made through him. And so you have physical life. Your breath, you came from him. The Bible talks about eternal life, that everybody's going to live forever somewhere. And that what you choose to do with Jesus determines where you're going to live forever. This eternal life that he makes a promise to us about. But it also talks about the in-between, when you've already been created, but you're not yet living forever with him, that in-between section of life. And when the Bible uses the word life, it speaks to that too. Jesus said this of himself in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life right here and right now. That's a deep, meaningful purpose to your life, the kind of life that every day you wake up, you just know why you were created. You know why you were born. And the Bible makes that promise to you. It makes you the promise that, yes, you will live forever with him, but here and now you can have life. And so if you're like me, maybe you have seasons where you wrestle with a little bit. Okay, well, I get what the Bible's saying, but here's my question. How does that help me right now? Like, what does that really mean? What does it look like to live that way? What does it look like to have that kind of life? Like, what is the point of all of this? Maybe you've been there too. Like, I get what the Bible's saying, but like practically, how's it going to help me right now? And to answer that, we've jumped back and forth between John 1 and Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, you can flip back to Isaiah chapter 9, where the Bible describes, particularly chapter 9, verse 6, describes the coming of the Messiah this way. 
And it kind of gives us how this plays out. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You're like, well, how does following Jesus really help me in my life right now? Well, Isaiah tells us, because of who Jesus is, the influence, the impact that has on your life, it's pretty incredible. Let me give you a little bit of context. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, you have a very real heartfelt situation that somebody's up against. This is where this word, these words come into play. It's King Ahaz ruling over Jerusalem. And he's got the Assyrian Empire right on the outside of the gates wanting to come in and destroy them. So you've got this king who's feeling a little bit of anxiety. He's feeling a little anxious about the idea of being completely destroyed. I think he's rightly so feeling that way. And so he begins to get strategic. He starts thinking, what can I do to avoid this? Who can I make an alliance with? Who can I team up with? So that, and all of a sudden, God sends this prophet named Isaiah to Ahaz to come to him and say, Ahaz, I know you're trying to create alliances. I know you're trying to be strategic, but here's the deal. God is making a promise to you that if you'll trust in that promise, everything will change for you. God's promising to come and give you a sign that he's going to be with you and you don't have to worry about this. And as Isaiah is telling them this in chapter 7, he can tell Ahaz is struggling to believe him. So he says, I, look, I know you're struggling to believe this, but God is going to send you a miraculous sign, a miraculous sign. And that sign is going to tell you that he's going to be with you. And if he's with you, that changes everything. You're looking for an immediate solution to something that God has an eternal solution for. But I'm telling you, he's going to be with you. If you'll just, and then Ahaz responds with, hey, hey okay, I, I get it, Isaiah, but would you tell God, don't send a sign? Because if he sends me a sign, then I have to actually believe in him and obey him. And I don't want that. I like this whole ambiguity thing where I can acknowledge him, but not really. So, so don't tell him to tell us, send a sign. And in chapter 7, verse 14, he says, oh, you don't really want a sign. Well, God's going to send a sign anyway. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. And his name will be called Emmanuel, which is the heartbeat of the answer to our question. How does following Jesus help me right here and right now? You will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a promise that doesn't really hit us the way we would like. And it didn't hit Ahaz either. There's partial fulfillment to this promise. We can see this child who's going to be born. It's partially fulfilled, but really fulfilled. And here's what I mean by that. In chapter 8, there is a child that's born. There's reference to it that took place back there, 730 BC, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So you have a child that is born. But the way this child's described in chapter 9 tells us that it's not completely fulfilled in the birth of that child, that another child would come and be born that could only be the solution to this prophecy. Think about it this way. When you look at Old Testament prophecy in your Bible, when you look at prophecy, it's like coming across a mountain range. If anybody's a hiker who has traveled and seen the mountains, you look off and you can see you're going to hike and you can see this mountain peak that you're going to get to and it's beautiful. And so you're on your way there, and you can see there's a series of ranges right next to each other. Man, these things are right next to each other. This is incredible. And so you get close to that first peak, and what do you notice? Oh, these mountains aren't as close to each other as I thought. But here's the one that I'm up against, but there's this huge gap before this other mountain. That's prophecy in your Old Testament. Oftentimes, they would come across, and there's partial fulfillment to what was said right here, but a large gap of time before the ultimate fulfillment were to take place. And this is what's happening in Isaiah. 
Isaiah's told King Ahaz, there is a child who will be born. That child's born. But a large gap of time takes place before Jesus comes and is the ultimate fulfillment. And we know that because of the way he's described. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This doesn't describe. Look, I know all of you love your children. And when you go to name your children, it's an important thing. And what you call them really has meaning to it. That's really good. Every time we do a child dedication, we see that. But no matter how much you love your child, they're not the wonderful counselor. They're not the everlasting father, the mighty God, or the prince of peace. And sometimes it takes convincing parents of that. And that's not what happened here. And I said, there's an ultimate fulfillment that would come in Jesus. But now we come back to our original question. How does a promise of a Messiah who's coming in 700 years, how's that supposed to help Ahaz? In the same way we would think, hey, how does the promise that Jesus is coming back someday, how's that supposed to help me in my life right now? See, here you Christians go again with your Bible. Everything is so sentimental. It feels so good. Like, and, and a lot of people around Christmas time, they feel this way. I mean, it feels, I love the talk of the manger, and I love the traditions and all the lights. And well, I mean, we went and waited in for three and a half hours at line at the state fairgrounds, too, just to look at the lights, like many of you did, too. And, and we love all of it. Oh, man, it's so good. It feels so good. But, but at the same time, it's all pie in the sky. It's all sentimental. And I've got real problems in my life right now that this Christmas stuff that feels really good isn't helping. I mean, I've got a marriage that's barely hanging on. What, what's it going to do for that? Financially, we're wrecked. We went through this whole COVID thing, and I've lost someone that I love dearly, and I'm actually dealing with real-life pain. How does your Christmas story help me with that? How does your Christmas story speak to that? See, I, I knew it. The hallmark, like, fluffy way of life, it's really enjoyable to watch, but it's not realistic, and I'm out. You ever felt like that? If you're really honest about it, you ever been there? Turn to your neighbor and say, I hate Christmas. No, don't do that. <laughs> what kind of Christmas sermon? Don't do that. <laughs> But it can feel like that. It can really feel like, man, how is this actually going to help me in my real, life, my real life situations? So let me ask you this. Have you ever been up against something and felt that experience of meeting somebody who knows exactly how you feel? Have you ever felt the difference it makes when you get to actually walk with someone who knows exactly what you've been through, who knows what you're walking through, who knows what you're experiencing, who understands what you're feeling, and the difference that it makes? You ever walk with somebody through something and, and you realize, man, I know exactly how this person feels, and to that person it makes all the difference. Why? Because all these other people have tried to help them and give them advice and communicate with them, but, but they couldn't quite connect until you meet that one person. I'll give you a couple examples of this. When, when my, my mom unexpectedly died about two months before my wedding, just out of the blue, and uh, immediately when something like that happens in your life, the, everybody shows compassion and care for you. And it was very much appreciated, but nobody really was capturing what I was going through. And for me, it didn't come in the form of a person. I got on an airplane, and I don't know how or why I had packed uh, to fly to see them, but I had had this book by C.S. Lewis, it's a tiny little paperback book. It's about 75 pages. As I read that book on the flight to her, where I was the only Christian and I had to preach her funeral, I, I kept thinking, how on earth does this person put words to exactly what I'm feeling? And it was the most helpful thing to know. Someone else has felt what I feel. Look, throughout my time in ministry, 
all kinds of people misunderstand the role of ministry. They think that pastors and ministers are supposed to walk into any room in any situation and know exactly what to do. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of Christmas secret. We have no clue uh, what we're doing. A lot of the time that we walk into a room and you hear what someone's going through, you see what they're walking through, and you can't fully relate. There are some rooms where I walk in and I know exactly what to do. Anytime somebody has tragically lost their parents, I lost both my mom and my dad tragic ways. And anytime I've been asked to step into a room where that's the situation, I feel well equipped to understand that pain and to walk with that person, to be able to talk to them and articulate what I think they might be experiencing. And I've had the joy in the midst of my grief, as weird as this sounds, of seeing how my pain and my understanding of that pain has helped somebody else. It's a beautiful thing God does. But I have no idea what it's like to walk into a room and sit with someone who's just lost their child. And I pray every day that I never know that pain. So when I walk into a room like that, I don't know. I don't know that pain. I don't get it. I don't understand it. So I can do two things when I walk into that room. I can point them to the unfortunate yet beautiful truth that I've got a lot of friends in my family, my New Hope Church family, that I can call into the room to do ministry in that moment because they know exactly what that person's feeling. And then I can point them to the God who created them and wants to give them life even in the midst of their pain who also knows exactly what they're going through. Is this not the promise of Christmas? That the God of the universe knows exactly how we feel Is this not why we celebrate Christmas? That the creator of the entire universe came so that he could be like us, so that he could relate to us. I mean, think about how Isaiah describes Jesus. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. That word counselor is two Hebrew words that come together, and it means beyond understanding. It's literally how you could translate it. Beyond understanding. It's used not like a counselor like we would think, like the the friend that you call in the middle of the night when you're having that really bad day and you just pour your heart out to them and they're just sitting there receiving it. Oh, I know how you feel. Oh, that must have been horrible. I hate them too. I hate them too. Don't worry. Like not that kind of counselor. It's this beyond understanding. It's this, this is too good to be true. How could this person understand this much? It's the same word used to describe King Solomon in your Bible. And King Solomon was a king who everyone brought all their problems to, and somehow he had the way to give them a perfect solution, this wisdom to give them a solution and the power to enact it. It's the counselor. It's this idea that that when God comes, he fully understands what we're experiencing. And it's almost beyond understanding that God would become like us so that he could relate to us. I think the writer of Hebrews captured it well when when he wrote this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But instead, we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. And because of his perfect life, now we can draw with confidence, we can draw near the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help us. When? In our time of need. In the moment where we feel like nobody can understand what we're going through. In the moment where it's realized, what is all of this for anyway? It's a reminder. Christmas is a reminder that God came to live among us so he could relate to us, so that he could say into your pain and into your life, I know how you feel. And because he knows how you feel, you can draw near to him in the midst of your most difficult experiences. You've experienced this. When you're going through life's worst pain, one of the best things is to be able to talk to someone who really understands what you're going through. 
And if our God was really born in a manger, then we have what no other religion, worldview, or philosophy on earth has. They don't even claim to have it. We have a God who can understand what we're going through from the inside of our experience, not from the outside looking in. He can understand from the inside of our experience who knows what it's like to be born into poverty, who knows what it's like to feel rejection, to be abandoned by your friends and your family, to be tried unjustly, to be beaten, cruelly beaten, and to be killed. We have a God who can relate to everything that we've been through. Dorothy Sayers is a British author, and she said it so beautifully. She says this, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, this is what it means. It means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life, amen, and the cramping restrictions of hard work and a lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us. And he thought it well worth his while. Back to our original question. A lot of times people come to church and they want to know, can Christianity, can following Jesus solve all my problems? Because I got a lot going on. You understand that the pain that my family's walking through, we don't get along. Christmas is the worst. I don't want to be around any of them. Can it fix my marriage that's just hanging on by a string? Can, can Christianity fix that? Or can it give me some supernatural focus to fix the career that I just continually mess up? I'm here at church, but can church really help me? Can Christianity really help me? I heard a great analogy where someone said, asking those kind of questions are kind of like a young child asking, if I were to get blasted by an atomic bomb, would I be hot? It's like, well, yeah, you're, you're going to feel heat and if an atomic bomb blasts right near you, but that's a little beside the point. You're missing the point because if an atomic bomb explodes near you, your personal temperature is going to be irrelevant in that moment. Likewise, God can absolutely, to answer the question, fix all of your problems, but Christmas is a reminder that he's done so much more than that. So much more than fixing our problems. He's given us himself. All of himself. So that no matter what we're walking through, we can be reminded that he knows how we feel. That he wants to walk with us. Look, we, we light these candles as a reminder of the light coming into the darkness. And every year you come to this last celebration, this last reminder where you have peace and love and joy. You have all these things that point to one reality, that they all find themselves coming together in the birth of Jesus. A birth that is God's loud megaphone to the whole world, that because of tonight, because of Christmas, because of the birth of my son, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you're up against, I know how you feel. From my family to yours, may that truth resonate deep in your heart as I say to you, Merry Christmas. Let's stand and celebrate our Savior.